Teachings that do not speak of pain have no meaning, because humankind cannot gain anything without first giving something in return. In alchemy, to obtain something, something of equal value must be lost. This is Equivalent Exchange. Hi, welcome to Equivalent Exchange, the podcast about full malakos by Hiromu Arakawa. I'm Kayla. I'm Ellen. And yeah, this is our first episode of our new series. Yeah. Talking about Full Malakamas this time. Yeah. Keeping with the uh, early 2000s theme. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think it just speaks to when we were really like into... <laughs> when we were weebs. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Put it politely, yes. <laughs> All right, so it's going to be slightly different than the Fruits Basket one. Um because you haven't read all the Full Metal Alchemist. <laughs> that's, that's correct. <laughs> I have not. I think you've read slash watched some of it. <laughs> I watched the first anime, uh, not Brotherhood, and it was quite a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And I read, I want to say, into like the 50s of chapters of the manga. Mm -hmm. But that was also a long time ago. Yeah. So I, so I generally know the story, but it's basically like a fresh start for me. That's how I'm treating it. Yeah. So I'm excited frankly yeah. i mean i haven't read new series fiction series mm -hmm. in a long time yep. i'm excited too because full alchemist is one of my favorite pieces of media mm -hmm. so. yeah i started off i watched um a couple episodes of the first anime and then like went looking for scanlations because this is before it was even officially translated in manga form yeah probably um and then like from then on i pretty much read the scanlations the whole time it was being published nice which was about nine years i think i have the dates yeah, it was published from July 2001 to June 2010, so almost exactly nine years. Wow. Yeah, and I've read it, like, several times since then, so. Uh, so, yeah, we're not going to have a spoiler section, <laughs> but I'm planning to keep notes of, like, stuff that was foreshadowed, so I remember to bring it up when it comes okay. up later. <laughs> Great. Stuff I, would, stuff I would discuss in the spoiler section if we had one. Yes, if you're listening to this and you didn't listen to our previous podcast, Kayla and I hosted a podcast about Fruits Basket called Let's Stay Together. And we would have a spoilery discussion because we both read it before. Mm -hmm. But now, because I'm a baby, we won't be doing that. Yeah. But we'll keep track for later. Yep. <laughs> All right. So instead, we're going to go with the, you know, summary slash recap and then just into general discussion, I guess. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Let's get started. So we're reading uh, chapter one and chapter two this time. All right. So in case you weren't sure what you're getting into, Film Alchemist starts with a little uh, good old fashioned child dismemberment. <laughs> <laughs> Light flashes from an un unseen source in a dark room. A boy drags himself over to a strange chalk pattern drawn on the floor, bleeding heavily from the severed stump of his left leg. Al! Alphonse! He shouts. Damn! Damn! It wasn't supposed to be like this! He's gone! Teachings that do not speak of pain have no meaning, the narration says, because humankind cannot gain anything without first giving something in return. Elsewhere, in a worn-down, industrial-looking town, a teenage boy and someone in a large, full-body suit of armor sit at, a, at the counter of an outdoor restaurant, listening as loudspeakers and radios all around the town broadcast a sermon about the sun god Lido. They comment on the oddness of the religious broadcast, and the restaurant owner comments on the oddness of his customers. Are you guys street performers or something? <laughs> they protest this and explain that they're on a trip looking for something, and then ask about the broadcast. The locals all gather eagerly to explain that it's Father Cornello, who founded the Church of Lido a few years ago and who can perform real miracles. The boy is unimpressed. I'm agnostic, he says. <laughs> and as they get up to go, the one in the armor bumps the ceiling and sends the restaurant's radio crashing to the ground. The owner scolds them, but don't worry, they can fix it. Everyone looks on doubtfully as the one in armor draws a circular pattern around the smashed remains of the radio. 
He holds his hands up over it, and with a flash of light and a loud sound, the radio is back together and broadcasting. It's a miracle. But no, they're just alchemists. We're the Elric brothers, the boy says. A lot of people have heard of us. Elric? Yeah, I have heard of you. They say the older brother is a state alchemist they call the full metal alchemist, Edward Elric. The boy preens, but everyone is crowding around his brother. Wow, cool. They must call you full metal because of the armor. Uh, no, it's not me. It's him. Huh? You mean the little guy? The other boy snaps. I'm not little. Don't call me midget or shorty or shrimp. We didn't say any of that. I love how they run away from his tantrum. Yeah. So yeah, the little one is Edward, and the one in the armor is the younger brother, Alphonse. As the commotion settles down, a young woman named Rose comes up to buy some offerings before heading to church. She cheerfully greets the newcomers and wishes them luck with finding what they're searching for, then continues on her way. The others comment on how happy she is lately. She has no family and lost her boyfriend in an accident last year, but Father Cornello's miracles have given her hope. After all, he can raise the dead, and the souls of his faithful live forever. Raise the dead, huh? Ed says, frowning. I don't like the sound of that. I don't like it either. Just for the record. (laughs) It's not good. No. (laughs) In Father Cornello's office, the man himself wraps up the sermon we've been hearing over the radio, and his priest prays his work. Rose arrives, and Cornello remarks on her dedication. She hesitantly starts to ask, uh, when will you be able to? And Cornello tells her that God has seen her good deeds, but it's not yet time. Yes, Father, she says, you're right, not yet. That's a good girl, Rose. She's also not good. He's so creepy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In this specific panel, he's so creepy. <laughs> When mm-hmm. I was reading it, I was like, oh, you can tell he's bad. Real bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can tell he's bad because you can't see his eyes. Yeah. <laughs> but this in particular, when you could see someone's mouth and they're smiling, that's always yeah. bad. Yeah. It's, isn't it? It's not good. <laughs> <laughs> Later down in the church, Rosa enters to find Ed and Al hanging out by the altar. She eagerly asks if they're going to jo- join the Church of Lido, telling them how wonderful it is to believe in God and live each day with hope and gratitude. And if Ed has faith, he'll definitely grow taller. (laughs) After Al holds him back, Ed sits down on one of the pews and asks if Rosé really believes the dead will come back to life if she prays. Yes, she says, I do. Ed sighs and digs a small notebook out of his pocket. Water, 35 liters. Carbon, 20 kilograms. Ammonia, 4 liters. Lime, 1.5 kilograms. Phosphorus, 80 grams. Sodium, 250 grams. Potassium nitrate, 100 grams. Sulfur, 80 grams. Fluoride, 7.5 grams, iron, 5 grams, silicone, 3 grams, and 15 other elements in small quantities. That's the total chemical makeup of the average adult body. Modern science knows all of this, but there has never been a single successful human transmutation. It's like there's some missing ingredient. He says scientists have been trying to figure it out for years, but he still thinks it's better than sitting around and praying. He adds that all those ingredients he listed can be bought at any market with a child's allowance. Humans are pretty cheaply made. (laughs) This offends Rosé, who tells him God will punish him for saying things like that, but Ed just laughs and says that alchemists don't believe in unprovable concepts like God. But ironically, in the way they pursue the concepts of creation and the truths of the world, they're kind of the closest things to him. What pride, Rosé says. Are you saying your God's equal? Well, it's like that myth about the hero, Ed says. He made wings out of wax so he could fly, but when he got too close to the sun, the wax melted and crashed to the ground. Al looks down solemnly, but Rosé just looks puzzled. Later on, Cornello performs his miracles in front of a huge adoring crowd. He catches a small flower in his hands and transforms it into a large sunflower with a familiar-looking flash of light. At the back of the crowd, Ed and Al watch and take notice of this. It's obviously alchemy, but what about the laws? Rosé finds them in the crowd and enthuses about Cornella's miracles, but they explain what they're seeing and try to explain the laws of alchemy that are being broken. You can't make something huge out of something tiny, and a substance can only be made out of the same type of substance. 
or more simply, equivalent exchange. In order to obtain something, something of equal value must be lost. Cornell is making too much out of too little. Rosa insists that that's because it's a miracle, but the boys have a different idea. Ed zeroes in on the ring Cornello wears on his left hand and says, I think we found it. And then with great enthusiasm, he says he's suddenly way interested in this whole religion thing, and could Rosé maybe take him to meet his holiness? <laughs> so disingenuous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At the church, Cornello and one of his priests discuss the kids requesting an audience with him and realize that one of them is the Fulmer alchemist. They worry that this means the government is getting wise to their plans and decide everything would be a whole lot cleaner if the Ellert brothers just never showed up here at all. It shall be as God wills, says the priest with a smirk. An evil smirk. Yeah. (laughs) No subtlety in the uh, villains of these chapters. No. (laughs) (laughs) Later, the same priest leads Ed, Al, and Rosé to a secluded area under the pretense of meeting Cornello. As soon as the door closes, he pulls out a gun and shoots Al right through the eye hole of his armor. His body falls and the helmet goes flying as two more followers restrain Ed. A shocked Rosé protests, but the priest assures her that this is Cornella's command, and that these two are evil heathens trying to entrap his holiness. This is the will of God. Hmm, guess there are some really bad gods out there, says Al, <laughs> who despite missing a head has stood back up and taken hold of the gun. In the following panic, the brothers are easily able to knock out their captors, including one that Ed knocks out by chucking Al's detached head at him. <laughs> Which is wonderful. Yeah. Rosé is understandably freaked out by this and asks what the heck is going on. And the brothers merely say it's exactly what it looks like. Ed knocks on the armor, which echoes, and Al leans down to confirm that there's nothing inside. You might say that this is what happens when you trespass in God's domain, Al says, reattaching the helmet to his armor. Both I and my big brother. You too, Edward? Rosé asks. But Ed waves it off as a story for another time. They point out the obvious misdeeds of the church here, and when Rosé insists that it must be a mistake, they ask her if she has the courage to face the truth. The truth is for chumps, and everybody knows that. (laughs) Yeah, denial's better. (laughs) (laughs) It isn't just a river in Egypt. (laughs) Yeah. A little later, Ed and Al stand outside Cornello's room. The door opens for them, then slams shut when they enter. Did you come to hear me preach? Cornello asks. Ed says, yeah, teach us all about how you used alchemy to deceive your followers. Cornello feigns ignorance at first, but his attitude quickly changes when Ed speculates that he's using a philosopher's stone on his ring to bypass the laws of alchemy. The government gets its money's worth out of you, doesn't it? I guess you saw through the whole thing. He shows off the stone, the legendary catalyst that lets him conjure at the minimum price for the maximum result. How long I've searched for that, Ed says, clenching his teeth. Cornello asks what Ed wants the stone for. Money? Honor? But Ed turns the question back on him. What does he get out of founding this fake religion? If he wants money, he could just make it with the stone. But it's not about money. He wants devoted followers, an army of fanatics with no fear of death. Within a few years, the entire nation will be mine. Well, fine, but I don't really care about that, Ed says casually, which greatly annoys Cornello. <laughs> he adds that he also doesn't really care about his country or his role in the military, so he'll keep quiet if Cornell hands over the stone. Cornell dismisses the bargain. The people of the town love him and would never listen to an outsider like Ed. He's got those idiots completely fooled. Wow, you are smart, Ed says, clapping sarcastically. <laughs> You're right, your followers would never listen to a word I say. But what about her words? Al unclips and removes the chest piece of his armor, revealing that Rosé has been hidden inside listening the whole time. It's a convenient carrying case as well. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Father, were you fooling us this whole time? The power of God can't grant our wishes? You can't bring my darling back? Cornell visibly panics for a moment, but quickly comes up with a new plan. He may not be God's emissary, but with the Philosopher's Stone, of course he can resurrect Rosé's beloved. He and the brothers do a bit of verbal tug-of-war over Rosé, trying to convince her to come to their side while she sweats and shakes in indecision. But eventually, the desperate hope she's been clinging to wins out. She approaches Cornello. I'm so sorry, she says. This is the only choice I can make. Cornello praises her and says that they now must eradicate the heathens. He pulls the lever on the wall, which releases a monstrous beast, half lion and half reptilian, into the room. 
He calls it a chimera, a demonstration of the Philosopher's Stone's ability to create new life. The beast growls, and Ed notes that he probably shouldn't do this empty-handed. He puts his hands together, then places them on the floor. Light flashes, and he pulls a spear from the material of the ground. Cornella takes note of the fact that Ed didn't need to draw a transmutation circle and is impressed. But that still won't be enough. The chimera's massive claws slice through the spear easily and tear across Ed's leg, making him grab his knee in alarm. How do you like the taste of claws that can even cut through steel? Cornella gloats, but Ed is grinning. I like how the chimera looks shocked for the record. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? Chimera- yeah, it's like, what? <laughs> the chimera looks shocked as its claws break, and Ed kicks the beast away. Sorry, these are custom made, he says, and his torn pant leg shows a glint of metal underneath. The chimera tries to bite him instead, but has a similar lack of success when Ed blocks it with his right arm. What's the matter, kitty? Tastes bad? And he kicks it away again. Look at me, Rosé. This is what happens to those who trespass in God's domain. As Rosé looks on in horror, Ed strips off his torn coat to reveal his entire right arm is made of metal. Automail. Full steel prosthetics, Cornella says, shocked. So that's why. The full metal alchemist. Ed snarls up at Cornella and beckons with his automail hand. Come down here and face me, you third-rate fraud. I'll show you there's no comparison between us. And that's where chapter one ends. That's a good ending. Mm-hmm. I love Ed's amount of sass. Yeah. <laughs> it very much comes through. He's got twice the amount of sass that should fit in that body. <laughs> <laughs> the automail gives him the extra ability to yeah. hold more sass. <laughs> All right, chapter two opens where we left off. Cornella recovers from his shock and says he understands who Ed is now. Look at them, Rosé. They dared to do the one thing forbidden to alchemists, the unspeakable crime of human transmutation. They've committed the worst possible sin. Rosé remembers Ed's words. He made wings out of wax so he could fly, but when he got too close to the sun, the wax melted and he crashed to the ground. We transition to a brief flashback. Ed and Al are painfully young and eagerly researching alchemy. Ed spreads out a large sheet of paper covered in alchemical symbols. This says how to do it. We can bring Mom back from the dead. Mm. The scene continues through quick images of their tragic attempt as Al's narration overlays it all. We never had any doubts about doing it. Our mother was so kind. All we wanted was to see her smile again, even if it meant breaking the laws of alchemy. That was the only reason we were studying alchemy, after all. But the resurrection failed. My brother lost his left leg. I had my whole body taken. The next thing I saw when I opened my eyes was this armor body and a sea of blood. Back in the present, Al continues, Even after the horrible injury of losing his left leg, my brother exchanged his right arm for my soul and put it in the suit of armor. Ed gives a dark little laugh and tells Rosé, That is what it takes to raise the dead. Are you ready to make that sacrifice? Cornello interrupts before Rosa can respond, taunting the boys about how they must want the Philosopher's Stone so they can succeed at their human transmutation, but they correct him that they only wanted to get their original bodies back. Cornello transmutes his cane into a huge gun and starts firing wildly, only missing Rosé because Al picked her up and put his armor body in front of her. The boys and Rosé escape through a door Ed transmutes into the wall and then easily fend off Cornello's followers who try to stop them in the hallway. As they run, they pass the broadcasting room where Cornella delivers his sermons to town, and Ed gets an idea. A wonderful, awful idea. Like a grinchy idea? <laughs> You're like, I'm not saying. It's a pretty, it's, it's a pretty grinchy smile. Yes. <laughs> Up at the church's tower, a couple loyal followers go to ring the bell, only to find that there is no bell. <laughs> on the roof below, Al whistles in- innocently as he carries it away. <laughs> he works on something with the bell and a long wire while Rosé looks on, and they discuss equivalent exchange again. She assumes that since they sacrificed so much, they must have been able to bring their mother back. But Al lowers his head. The thing we brought back wasn't even human anymore. And we see a glimpse of that result. A twisted arm and a tangle of dark hair and a pool of blood within the transmutation circle. Al explains that they've given up on transmuting humans. They just want to get their bodies back. But even that's a huge risk that might cost their lives. It's the fate they've chosen, but Rosé shouldn't choose that path. 
Back in the broadcasting room, Cornella is finally caught up to Ed, who is sitting on the desk looking bored. He easily goads Cornella into a classic motive rant, screaming about <laughs> his followers being idiot pawns for war who will happily die for him if he asks. Ed smirks, then starts laughing. He reveals that what Al has been working on was turning the bell into a large loudspeaker, and with the microphone at Cornella's feet, he's been broadcasting all of this to the entire city. The townspeople stare in shock. Enraged, Cornell transmutes a gun again, but Ed is quick enough to turn part of his automail arm into a blade and slice it before he can fire. Cornell tries again, shouting that this, with the stone he can make miracles over and over again, but this time something goes wrong. When the flash of light clears, the gun has fused rather horrifyingly with his arm. And it's disgusting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he clutches at it and screams in pain. Ed is also shocked by this, but for a different reason. It's just a rebound. Don't make a big deal out of an arm or two. Let me see the Philosopher's Stone. But the stone cracks and crumbles as it falls away from Cornella's ring, turning to nothing but dust carried away by the wind. Cornella begs for mercy while Ed despairs over the stone being a fake. Then the despair turns to fury over all they just went through over nothing, and he transmutes an enormous statue to slam a fist into the ground just in front of a terrified Cornello. I also like how he's in the spotlight. This is like duty. Yeah. <laughs> Later, Ed explains to Al about the fake stone, and they sigh over thinking they were so close, only enough to start from scratch and get back on the road to keep looking. As they turn to leave, they find Rosé, collapsed to her knees on the ground. There must be some mistake. They told me he would come back to life, she says. Tears stream from her eyes. What do I do? What am I supposed to believe in now? Are you going to tell me? Well, are you? Ed tells her she'll need to figure that out on her own. Stand up and walk, he says, as he and Al walk past her without pause. Keep going forward. At least you have strong legs to take you there. As the sun sets, Rosé looks up to the sky. Later at the church, Cornello sneaks away to his secret room while the angry townspeople pound on the door and demand an explanation. He gripes to himself for a bit about how his plans have been ruined, but it turns out he's not alone. A dark-haired woman and a strange-looking and very round man are waiting for him. <laughs> Even his eyes are round. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the woman scolds him over the trouble he's caused, while the man casually munches on the remains of the Chimera Ed father earlier. Mm. Cornello demands to know why they gave him a fake Philosopher's Stone when they said he would be able to use it to take over the country. But that was a lie. All they wanted was for him to cause a little chaos in the region. What, he really thought someone like him could be the leader of a country? Cornell shakes in rage, and the strange man asks the woman, calling her Lust, if he can eat him. No, Gluttony, you'd get a stomach ache if you ate the likes of him. Cornell snaps at being so mocked and lunges forward, but not very far. Lust's fingernails extend suddenly into long, sharp lances, and one pierces clean through Cornell's skull. You are no longer of any use, she says. We see a tattoo prominently displayed on her chest, a winged serpent eating its own tail, as she pulls her hand back and he falls down dead. Lust laments that things have been going so well and that father will be furious. As she wonders aloud what their next plan should be, Gluttony picks up Cornella's body. He grins widely, letting his large, dripping tongue, which bears the same tattoo as Lust, hang out. The ripping and snacking sound effects give us a nice mental image, and Lust says, Hey, I thought I told you not to eat that. And that's the end of chapter two. <laughs> So we started off this series with not only child dismemberment, but cannibalism, question mark. Yeah. <laughs> and like a cult. I love it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Good stuff. Yeah. Great stuff. All right. So yeah. Full Malachimus. Yep. <laughs> Welcome. Yeah. <laughs> a little comedy, a little gore, <laughs> a little tragedy. <laughs> I think that like probably the first time I read this, it was probably the most like gory comic I'd ever read. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny. I don't really think of it as a super violent series but like it's not shy about showing the gross stuff (laughs) it's definitely not i mean i assume that the gore here is used to like you have to make that arm transmuting partially with a gun like be really visceral so that it doesn't just Mm -hmm. 
it like it, it makes the magic of alchemy more real. Yeah, I think uh, I think these first chapters do a good job of like establishing the magic system and like showing like how it works and how it goes wrong. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and like the risks involved. Yeah, that's true. And now explain like the core concept of alchemy in these chapters. Mm-hmm. So it seems like the sort of the like core concept of alchemy is that you can only transmute what's already there. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, it seems like there are definite risks that we've seen <laughs> up to and including death, I guess, if done improperly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or like loss of your physical body, I guess, if that's what you count as death. Yeah. Well, it makes it seem like uh, it would have been death if Ed hadn't also sacrificed his arm to get the soul back. So <laughs> yeah. And made a deal. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an interesting concept though. Like, mm-hmm. does that mean your body is worth as much as a soul? I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting yeah. idea in and of itself, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting concept combined with the uh, concept of equivalent exchange. Yeah, that's true. Or transmutation. So it's like one arm equals a soul, I guess. <laughs> well, it's also this like idea that people can't have one without the other. Mm-hmm. That's also kind of what's implied by the failed human transmutation of their mother, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like what Al says is it wasn't human when he's talking about what was like created in their attempted transmutation human transmutation yeah and also we see the chimera that father cornello it's implied the father cornello created the chimera and it seems to be kind of like a mindless animal it doesn't seem like the chimera has um i don't know like mm-hmm. soulfulness <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it seems implied that it it seems implied that you can get one but not the other mm-hmm. so ed got Al's soul back and was able to attach it to the armor but he wasn't able to get Al's body back in like in like whatever the exchange was that went down when they tried to transmute their mother yeah one thing I didn't notice until I read this through this time is that so like so they were just studying alchemy to bring their mother back like they weren't generally interested in it before I mean, if it's not too spoilery to say. Um, I think it's not too spoilery to say. I think that what mostly what he's saying is that to see their mother smile is why they were studying alchemy. Yeah. So. That's also interesting. That's not really about, like... Yeah, it's not about, like, creating something. Mm-hmm. It's about, like, seeing their mother again. Yeah. Which is implied that they failed to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's kind of an interesting contrast to like, like when they're talking about the philosopher's stone. You know, Cornelis, like, like what do you want? Honor, money, glory? Yeah, because like, that's the kind of things he wants and is getting gaining from using alchemy, but very different goal from what Ed and Al have. Yeah, so I guess we get two different sort of like motivations for using alchemy that are explored in these chapters. So you get Ed and Al saying that they wanted to see their mother again as young, young children like way too young as yeah. you described <laughs> after they lost their mother and then um with father cornello he wants followers so that he can take over and he thinks that ed and Al are there from the government or that's there from the government like he thinks that the government knows what he's up to mm-hmm. but really they're just there because they're looking for the philosopher's stone they're not like they're on a government errand as he originally thinks yeah so yeah we're like introduced to kind of the concept of alchemy and how it works which is obviously the basis of the series called Full Mill Alchemist. <laughs> yeah, you might think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and the concept of equivalent exchange and the idea of human transmutation are all important 
kind of lore level stuff that's introduced in these chapters. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just like alchemy is just a thing in this. Yeah. Maybe we should talk about how about alchemy in this world mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. people, I guess, know about alchemy generally or like conceptually or historically. Yeah, it's like it seems to be just kind of like a known thing in this world. It's just sort of a yeah. science slash magic system that works yeah. in this world. You, in this world, you can draw a little circle and like make things. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, make things from other things. It has to be the same type of thing, though. Like you can't just make something from nothing, which is the whole point of a yeah. exchange as a... Mm-hmm. basis for alchemy so yeah and then i guess you have human transmutation in the sense of like like we saw well i mean we saw part of what happened in Anal's attempt to transmute a human so like to try to build a human from the required elements yeah but it seems like there's something missing mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i always like that phrasing where they're like it's like there's some missing ingredient like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i always like the part where he lists everything it's like it's mm-hmm. like straightforward to yeah. put a general sized human together. Yeah, I think that's yeah, it's a very like iconic and striking scene in this series, I think, which is why I wanted to make sure to read the whole list out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it it is. It is something that I remember from the anime. It's very striking. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you don't think of people as being like a list of ingredients. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. A list of cheap chemicals. <laughs> yeah, apparently. A child's allowance can buy it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when he goes into the part and says like it says that it's it's just like it's a reference to them as children and it's like oh <laughs> yeah yeah it's like it's just kind of like a dickish thing he says at first but then like you're like oh no he he means that very literally yeah, he knows from personal experience <laughs> yeah and yeah we also get a bit of the concept of a state alchemist which right. seems to be associated with the government or the military somehow yeah i forget exactly what cornello says but he's like oh you're with the government or whatever Mm-hmm. It's, also, it's also like a concept that everyone in the world is familiar with, like someone who's recognized yeah. by the state as an alchemist. Mm-hmm. And he also has like the nickname. Yeah. His nickname is the Fullmetal mm-hmm. Alchemist. Yeah, and he's like famous, at least somewhat famous by that name. So. Right. Not the suit of armor brother. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if he had to choose that, if he was the one who picked that nickname, it was a poor choice, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> it's more like a third metal alchemist. <laughs> Yeah, approximately. <laughs> I guess they also introduced the concept of automail, mm-hmm. which is like a fully usable prosthetic. Yeah. Yeah, because he doesn't, his hand and his arm and leg seem to work exactly the same as a normal arm and leg. Right. You, you don't realize it's a prosthetic until he rips his clothes off. <laughs> right. <laughs> until, he, <laughs> until he gets half naked, of course. Yes. <laughs> as is required by this fight. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, the prosthetic seems to be very advanced, I guess, to where you can, like, yeah. actually control, like, a regular limb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's also a known thing, because, like, Cornello knows what they are. Yeah, that's right. When he sees him, yeah. Apparently it's also made with, like, a super hard metal and can't be bitten through yeah. <laughs> by a chimera. <laughs> I guess the spear is probably made with, like, stone or something. Yeah, because he pulled, pulled it out, out of the, the ground. ground. Yeah. Right. And one detail I like that is, like, consistent in the series is, like, when he pulls it out of the ground, it leaves behind a little divot. Mm-hmm. Where yeah. He- because that's, you know, he pulled them some mass out of the ground, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same thing with the, like, chunk that he made into the wall to block the bullets. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, like, always kind of pulled out of the ground. Yeah. And also you can see this kind of, like, chunk crumbly texture. Like, the form of the wall isn't perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's always, like, a little, um, like, that kind of blocky texture mm-hmm. on stuff that's transmuted like that. Yeah, it's kind of, like, it makes me think of, like, like almost a pixelated texture, but... Obviously not. Mm. It's just a 
It's got the kind of little like Tetris block looking things, <laughs> kind of, you know. It has like a brick type texture, I guess. Mm-hmm, kind of like at the edges and stuff. Yeah. I guess transmutation in this series is always accompanied by that like flash of light, mm-hmm. as if it's like the electrons moving around or something like that. Yeah, the little like lightning bolt thing. <laughs> yeah. He also says, "Did wait? Did we talk about transmutation circles yet? Like when when mm-hmm. Al fixes the radio at the beginning of the first chapter, he draws a circle on the ground to like help him do it. Mm-hmm. But Ed doesn't need that. Father Cornello comments that he doesn't need to do that. Yeah, yeah. He just like puts his hands together and then." puts them on the ground and is able to do the transmutation. Right, so I guess that's like a known thing about alchemy too. Like sometimes you need a, a thing to help you do mm-hmm. it. You know, a thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you, need, you need you need like a magic sigil to help you do it. <laughs> yeah, it definitely seems like noteworthy that he doesn't need one. Yeah. So. It looks like Father Cornello doesn't need it either. Mm-hmm. Although he's using the stone yeah. to help him, I guess, in mm-hmm. some way. Yeah, there's not a lot said about the Philosopher's Stone at this point, but, like, it's obviously some kind of, like, thing that helps you bypass the laws of alchemy Yeah, in some way. I guess, like, outside of Fullmetal Alchemist <laughs> and within the world of Fullmetal Alchemist, it's something that's supposed to be able to... You're supposed to be able to use it to bring people back to life or, like, <laughs> to aid in human transmutation. Yeah. So it's some kind of substance that enables you to bypass the laws of alchemy up to and including, I guess, successful human transmutation. That's the rumor. <laughs> Yeah. But unfortunately for Ed now, this one turned out to be a fake. Yep. Which is an interesting uh, concept in itself. That yeah, true. You can make a fake yeah, philosophy you could make a fake. Yeah. <laughs> Which seems like it works for a little while, but then like has like limited power or something. <laughs> yeah, the stone like cracks. Like it appears to lose its power. It also mm-hmm. like backfires yeah. on the like second gun transmutation <laughs> or the like third <laughs> yeah no, just bigger gun father cordello is like, <laughs> very inventive you just like make a gun turn this cane into a gun <laughs> and it's like making walls and transmutes his own automail and stuff <laughs> yeah giant statue no big deal yeah, and this is like this becomes like kind of a running background gag um but like ed ed's transmutations are really tacky <laughs> like all the time <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, I just love that it's already, like, I, I know it becomes a gag from reading the rest of the series. I don't think it's a spoiler to say something's a running gag. Um, no. Um, but it's funny to see, like, it's already here. Like, <laughs> like when he uh, tries to use the spear, it's got the dragon on it. Right. Which is unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> like, when he transmutes the door, it's got, like, a skull above it or something. <laughs> right. And then he, like, transmutes a giant fist statue instead of just being mad. Yeah. <laughs> Ed's personality, from my recollection of the series, mm-hmm. comes through really well here. He's kind of, like, over-the-top and, like, super sassy. Mm-hmm. Like, Rosé is like, what pride? When he's talking about being able to transmute stuff and being close to God or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that was striking to me was, like, how angry he is about the stone being a fake. Yeah. Like, first he's disappointed, then he's really angry, and it's this, like, extreme frustration about not being able to find the Philosopher's Stone. Which I guess is understandable if you're missing half your body and your brother doesn't have a body and you're trying to restore it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just feel like his anger toward Cornello is, is marked. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty dramatic. Yeah, maybe dramatic <laughs> is a good way to describe his personality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do love how his like disparaged John is like that, like, like it's me in the spotlight losing <laughs> my religion, kind of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like Arakawa's art style is really different from a lot of stuff like you don't see a lot of other things that look like her art style and it's very distinct yeah her style is very distinctive 
it's something I really like about the series is her art style. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like how, like the characters are kind of like like chunkier almost than like your mm-hmm. average anime character. Like yeah, like yeah, your kind of standard stereotypical anime character is like really skinny and pointy. Where they're kind of, <laughs> she has kind of like more rounded and square. Yeah, yeah shapes true. to her characters. Yeah, like everybody has kind of a big square head and a big square jaw. Mm-hmm. Like especially all the dudes. And they're like pretty you don't have a lot of like long, thin mm-hmm. people. Like everybody's pretty muscular and stuff too. Like these enforcers for the religion, they look like they could fuck you up. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I can remember drawing specifically Full style anime eyes in my notebooks <laughs> in high school. Yeah. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. kind of instead of being like big and round, they're mm-hmm. all kind of angular. Like even Rose's eyes are pretty angular even though they're big ish. Mm-hmm. She has a little tick at the corner of her eye, like an eye, like eyelashes, but they're not like, you know, yeah. they're open on the bottom. You don't have a line underneath, unless it's like a close-up, like when there's a close-up of Rosé where her eyes are, you can kind of see like eyelashes and stuff. But mm-hmm. It's very interesting. And Hess's characteristic bang, his hair, <laughs> yeah. <that> <laughs> down. It's to make him taller. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he needs it for the height, extra height. <laughs> Does it say how old they are at this point in the series? Yeah, I'm not sure it was explicitly said. I think Ed is 15 and Al is 14 oh, okay. at the start of the series or something oh, around that age. Yeah, they look like teenagers. Ed looks yeah. kind of like a younger teenager, but I guess it's because he's short. Yeah. <laughs> but they're definitely young. They're younger than Rosé. Mm-hmm. They're the youngest people in like every scene in this part of the story. Yeah, I think the art style shows like different character ages pretty well, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the art style shows action really well, too. Like, sometimes actions still form, like, for me at least, it's a little bit hard to tell what's happening. Mm-hmm. Like, the way that Araka draws, you can see exactly what happened in every single fight. Mm-hmm. Like, you can see who punches who. You can see, like, the dude that Alphonse punches. Like, you can see his face is all fucked up for, you know, being hit by a suit of armor. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a pretty, like, clean style. Like, it's mm-hmm. mostly, like, solid, clean lines. Right? Not like, not as sketchy a style as some that you see, so. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's kind of like high contrast i guess is a good way to describe it mm-hmm. there's a lot of like fully inked backgrounds or like fully inked shadows like there's not a lot of like gray texture or other textures there's like thick outlines on stuff yeah it's very unique yeah it's one i can always tell like sometimes she she'll like she's done like illustrations like for other projects rather than like just her own stuff mm-hmm. and if i like see it in passing i'm like did arakawa illustrate this and i look it up i'm like yep <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> So we talked about alchemy. I see in your notes you have science and religion, which we haven't talked about yet. Yeah, I was going to put science versus religion, but it's not really that. Yeah. Yeah, it's more just kind of like how they compare and contrast. It's like there's not really too much of a like concrete thesis statement at this point, but like it's obviously a important aspect of these two chapters. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely introduced as a topic Mm -hmm. here. It seems like it's going to be a topic for the rest of the series, even though there's not a lot right now. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because you have, like, the devoutness of religion, but then the religion turns out to be fake, and then you have this, like, magical miracles that turn out to be, you know, quote-unquote real science in this world that are sort of contrasted here. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, what is real or what is fake or, like, what is science or magic? Yeah. (laughs) I agree with you that we don't really have, like, a firm statement at this point, but... You know, we have some characters with different opinions and points of view. It, it does seem like it'll be an ongoing debate slash theme in the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just like a lot of the like 
the terminology used, even like outside of the like fake cult religion, the use of like sin. They've committed the ultimate sin yeah. and like trespassing in God's domain and yeah. stuff like that. There's a reference also to Icarus flying too close to the mm-hmm. sun. And then also you have the two characters at the end referring to themselves as gluttony and lust, which are obviously the yeah. names of the seven deadly sins. Or two yeah, of them. unsettled. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and you have gluttony, like, eating stuff. Yeah. I always thought the gluttony was creepy, even when I read this the first time. Yeah. Like, I never read to the point where he was, like, more fleshed out in the story, but still creepy. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty freaky, like, even at this point, because, like, He's got kind of a childlike demeanor. He's like, yes, less for permission to eat Cornello. And (laughs) And then like a huge grin while he's like pulling the chimera apart and eating it. (laughs) It's pretty gross. (laughs) It's very unsettling. Yeah. (laughs) And then like the crunching and smacking noises Mm -hmm. at the end where he's eating Father Cornello. It's like, yeah, you don't need to see it for it to be creepy. (laughs) Yeah. Lust is also creepy too. Mm -hmm. She has the creepy hands. She looks pretty normal on the surface, but then like stabs right through Cornello's head and you're like oh shit yeah it's like like gluttony doesn't even look like human really yeah but like less looks pretty normal until that happens and you're like oh oh <laughs> like oh dear <laughs> i mean they have matching villain outfits so you know that they're bad yes <laughs> and matching villain tattoos mm-hmm. <laughs> which we should probably talk about yeah. gotta get matching tongue tattoos with your bffs oh so we should do that next do you want to get an orb <laughs> yes. tattoo I wonder if anyone's done that. Can you tattoo your tongue? I think you can. I think you can, but I don't think you should. I don't know why you would, but yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, they have matching tattoos on their tongues, which is like a yeah. traditional alchemical symbol. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot of um, real-world alchemy references in this series. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to try to like notice them and point them out. I'm not at all an expert in alchemy. So I'm <laughs> is sure anyone stuff, an expert but... in alchemy? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't even think the alchemists are experts in alchemy. <laughs> I mean, I think they just had, like, a lot of free time and money to play around with chemicals. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's um, Ouroboros, which is the snake eating its tail, or serpent or dragon, depending mm. on what translation you go with, which is a pretty uh, classic symbol in a lot of different things, not just alchemy. Um, hmm. um, but it tends to represent, like, you know, birth, death, and rebirth, and, like, eternity, and that kind of stuff. Hmm. It's kind of interesting to have on them. Mm-hmm. Uh, with alchemy, it was uh, like the first like alchemical version of it was from, or at least the most well-known one was from uh, Cleopatra the Alchemist, the kind of the classic version of the Ouroboros that you tend to see with alchemy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah? Oh, the book. Yeah, well, she's the one who wrote it. Um, oh. Sort of like, uh, Wait, was Cleopatra an alchemist? Different Cleopatra. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I see. It's like a pen name of something. Oh, like yeah. a pen name. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a lot of like symbols that come from like her stuff from alchemy. But yeah, the Ouroboros is one of the classic ones. It ha- tends to come with the writing, the all is one, hmm. which, you know, goes along with the whole concept of the... Like rebirth and death and life and stuff. You know, eternity of the cosmos kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Their tattoo also has the, like, two triangles or the six-pointed star in it as well. Mm -hmm. I think the triangles are, like, an alchemy symbol as well. Yeah, there's a lot of different triangles uh, (laughs) that you'll see in the, uh, like, different transmutation circles. You can even see it in the little one Al draws toward the beginning. Triangles at the edge. Yeah, I think they represent, like, elements and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's, like, ones with have circles in them and other ones. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's, like... 
only that in his transmutation circle. It's like a six-pointed star and two circles and like a triangle with a line on the pointy part of the triangle. <laughs> There's also the transmutation circle that has symbols. Like you see the notes yeah. in their notes in the second chapter. And like it's much more complicated. Like I guess you'd expect a human transmutation circle to be more complicated. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and you can see a bit of it in the very first page when when Ed is bleeding to death um, on the on the transmutation oh, yeah. circle. Yeah, the, yes, the <laughs> horrible one. <laughs> yeah. The other like prominent alchemy things that show up so far are obviously the Philosopher's Stone, which uh, I think most people are aware of, uh, especially if they've read Harry Potter. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is like a real world alchemy like thing to strive for. Like it's usually like the holy grail of alchemy to bring in another religious reference. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is said to be, you know, the elixir of life and can turn lead into gold. And right. Magic. Grant immortality and all that stuff. Yes. Do you know where the Philosopher's Stone is like supposed to come from? What do you mean? Like, is it a substance? It's a substance that's created, right? Yeah, it's supposed to. Yeah, it's supposed to be created because that's what alchemy. Like, it's one of the like goals of alchemy is to create the philosophers. And then, and then, then you're led into gold. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is all a get-rich-quick scheme. I see. <laughs> yeah, and like different people were said to have like created the philosopher's stone successfully throughout history. Like Nicholas Flamel. Yeah, Nicholas Flamel. Um, yep, and Cleopatra, and Cleopatra the alchemist. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Nicholas Flamel also uh, contributes the uh, famous snake and cross symbol that we see on uh, the back of Ed's jacket and also on Al's arm. Right. Do you know what it's supposed to represent? Not really. It's kind of a vague thing with him because, like, it was. Um, yeah, Nicholas Flamel had like a book called like Ex- Exposition of Hieroglyphical Figures. That's a mouthful. It had designs that he like commissioned based off of like a mysterious book he found hmm. that were like said to be like. Like, and it had to do with his, like, search for the Philosopher's Stone and stuff. And one of the symbols has a snake wrapped around a cross. It doesn't, it looks different from the Fulminacus one, obviously, which is stylized, but, uh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Fulminacus one adds, like, a wings and crown and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, the one that looks like a, uh. Like a snake on a cross. Yeah, <laughs> the one that looks like a old etching. Oh, uh, yes, yes. <laughs> is, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's, like, the one in Fulminacus is distinctly that snake and cross rather than, like, the, uh. Mm-hmm. The, what do you call it? The medical one. The Caduceus? Yeah. Or the, um, or Hermes thing. Yes. Um, yeah. And there's also an older medical symbol. It's the rod of, uh, Sclepius, which has a snake wrapped around a staff, but not a cross. So similar kind of symbol. I'm Googling it. Oh. What is it with snakes and <laughs> sticks? Is this some kind of, like, metaphor? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so there's a lot of imagery that's already worked in here, and a lot of symbolism that's worked mm-hmm. in the story that's both religious and these sort of esoteric or hermetic yeah. symbols as well, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. It's a good mix. Yeah. Good I feel like some manga and anime really like appropriate certain symbols mm-hmm. in a certain way, but I feel like these are all done with a yeah. purpose, and they're used consistently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you can... Yeah, you can tell there's um, research behind these, not just her going like, oh, that looked cool. I'll put that on one of my characters. I want to put a snake on a cross. That's pretty rad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure she also thought that looked cool because she seems like that kind of, <laughs> kind of cool. person. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Isn't that part of the point of these symbols? Yeah, Fulmalkus has good symbols. Like, if you want to get a tattoo out of a manga series, uh, you could do worse than Fulmalkus. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not on your tongue, though. Yeah, for a variety of reasons. <laughs> Speaking of symbols and esoteric symbols and stuff. Yeah. When there's a flashback to their past and they're studying 
thought it was interesting how they had like a whole library like mm-hmm. not just a suit of armor that al eventually gets like put into but mm-hmm. but there's another suit of armor there's yeah. like a skull so you have like a mix mm-hmm. of imagery there in that scene too in yeah. the background there's like something in a jar it kind of looks like mew it does look like mew <laughs> <laughs> but yeah they've got like a, a freaky library <laughs> that they're hanging out in as kids so. as children <laughs> Well, I guess their mom's dead, so they don't have supervision yeah. or anything. No supervision. <laughs> Everybody knows children don't need supervision. <laughs> yeah. At least not in anime. <laughs> On the next page, I think the representation of how their like their limbs are taken, uh, which is left pretty abstract at this point, but mm-hmm. the imagery there is pretty interesting. Like their limbs are like kind of pulled apart yeah. in this black swirl. Mm-hmm. And you see that characteristic alchemy lightning. Yeah, and the little like pixely effect on their like limbs. Right. Yeah. Do you think it's like Arakawa's visual language for when alchemy is being performed? Yeah, I think it's um yeah definitely in a, associated with alchemy being performed. Yeah. Also the uh, white panel with tiny little bleeding Ed <laughs> underneath that is really striking. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I saw. We're all like, oh, <laughs> then I woke up and that's what I saw. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's like, all I could get for one arm was your soul. I think that's a, a telling panel of Ed's personality. Mm-hmm. He's like, kind of joking. <laughs> he's like, they're going through this horrible yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> There's also like that really striking panel where Al is talking to Rose about what their mother was like yeah. when they tried to bring her back. Mm-hmm. But of course, it wasn't really human anymore. And it's, like, the continuation of that same scene where they look over at the transmutation circle, like, yeah. and you see the twisted hand and the hair and all the blood and stuff, like, mm-hmm. something undoubtedly horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> it's just another nice, striking panel. And it's drawn in that kind of outline style also. Yeah. I think that's that scene is uh, pretty compelling at the end when Rosie's asking, like, what, what she's supposed to do now. Mm-hmm. And he says, like, stand up and walk forward. You've got two strong legs to do it on. Which I mean, he doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Passes her, like, purposefully in, with the automail leg yeah. showing. It's interesting how she's kind of like, tell me what to do now mm-hmm. without somebody to follow or without the promise of yeah. her boyfriend returning. Yeah, it's kind of sad. Like, she seems just so lost without yeah. that kind of guidance. Yeah, that perhaps offers an interesting perspective on religion, too. Yeah. Where it's like she was following because she needed something to help her get through. Mm-hmm. Like, Ed has his own things that he kind of believes that he clings to too like i'm looking for the truth and like this is alchemy and there's no religion or whatever Mm -hmm. (laughs) like he and rose sort of clash in their ideas in this chapter but it seems Mm -hmm. like ed's also pushing for something too yeah there's something that he's clinging to the idea of the fact that there's a philosopher's stone he's so disappointed when it breaks Mm-hmm. He's obviously really driven by that and holding on to that idea as if it's a if it's real and will happen. Yeah. You can contrast that with Rose in the same mm-hmm. situation. Yeah. You can also contrast how they like react to it. Like like Ed is disappointed, but at the end he's like, Oh well, I guess we yeah. start over. Let's go. <laughs> so Yeah, true. Like you get kind of the feeling that they've been doing that a while. Like Yeah, for sure. Like having like false hopes and having to start over. Yeah, yeah. Well, they've been doing that since they tried to resurrect their mother, seems like, so... Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's like they got themselves into the situation and they're trying to get themselves out, but, like... It's hard to get a good read on Al, but with Ed, we get more of his internal sort of thoughts expressed. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get a read on Al, especially when his face never moves. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Ed's definitely a more dominating presence uh, at this point. <laughs> yeah. It seems like they've been doing that for a long time. They're looking for something. First, it seemed like they were trying to resurrect their mother, but mm-hmm. they said they're trying to resurrect their bodies, but I suspect it's even more than that. Like, they're looking for answers. He said they're looking for the truth. Yeah. The alchemists seek the truth. Yeah. We also don't have any motivation for these characters that are introduced the end, Lust and mm-hmm. Gluttony. They were using Cornello, which is interesting in and of itself, but for what purpose? It's not very clear. Yeah. <laughs> and they didn't seem to have any you know, compunction about disposing of him when he wasn't needed anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and also eating him in Gluttony's yes. case. <laughs> Do you think there's anything else to say at this point in the story? Yeah, I think that's a pretty good start to the discussion. Yeah. Man, Father Cornelius is a creep. I'm just looking back at him right now. He's so creepy. Yeah. <laughs> His smile is so creepy. I love the first time when Ed is like, oh, that's a Philosopher's Stone, right? And you see his facade just kind of crack for a second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. And there's a little cracking sound. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he becomes the evil character that we knew he was all along. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't have any other things to yeah. say. All right. Yeah, thanks for uh, joining us for our Thank you, yes. first episode of our new podcast. I uh, hope you'll stick around. Uh, next episode, we'll be reading chapters three and four. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm so excited. Listen. <laughs> it's a good series. Listen, yeah. you should all be excited. Everyone should be excited. <laughs> Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>